Welcome to this episode of Holiness Talks. We've been dealing with the all-important subject of holiness, and today we want to continue addressing that topic. In today's episode, we want to take a brief look at one of the passages of the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, that has been used for the doctrine of original sin. So what we'll be looking at in this episode and subsequent ones is how does holiness relate to what theologians will call original sin. I want us to look at Psalm 51 and we want to look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. I'm sure at one time or the other, you've had that passage quoted just to show how sinful humanity is. And sometimes you hear it in such a way that you feel that humanity is helpless. In other words, we cannot but sin. I mean, basically the argument is to suggest that sin is constitutive of our nature. So we have what is called a sinful nature and there's nothing we can do about it. And as long as we live, we'll keep on sinning or at the very best, what is going to happen is that we'll have the struggle with this, between these two natures, the, sin, the sinful nature, the old nature and the new nature. And of course we find passages in the scriptures that have been used, Romans chapter seven is an example. We'll probably deal with that at a later date. But today we want to look at Psalm 51 verse five, which I've just read. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, or literally in my waywardness. I was born in waywardness and my mother conceived me in failure. You see, here we see what is going on in Psalm 51 verse five, which is part of a confession that David was making. Before we get into that verse in particular, I want to remind us of the context of Psalm 51 within the entire Psalms. Holiness in the Psalms. You see, what we're saying is that when one looks at the Psalms, it's very clear that the Psalms are the words that are lifted up to God. And then we also always have to take careful consideration of who is speaking in any particular psalm. For instance, sometimes there are several voices in one psalm. And we need to note whether it is someone speaking, <clears throat> seeking forgiveness or vindication, or it may be the voice of a temple priest responding to prayer, to the prayer with judgment from God, or someone may be quoted in such a way that we should take exactly the opposite of what is said as truth. And then we need to bear in mind, particularly as we go into Psalm 51, that the Psalms are poetry. And the implication of that is this. In poetry, we expect to find vivid metaphors, figures of speech, interplay between sounding words, 
and hyperbole. You see, hyperbole, basically we understand, is the use of exaggeration overstating something for the sake of emphasis. Um, it's, it's like somebody says, well, I sweat like a pig. Do pig really sweat? But it's just to say that I'm sweating like a pig and therefore I'm smelling or whatever it is. Or you tell somebody, oh, I am very hungry. I could eat a whole house right now. Now you can't eat a house. What we're talking about is that we need to consider the literary sense of what we are reading rather than more than the literal sense. So we give attention to the literary sense rather than the literal sense. And when you look at the Psalms, it is abundantly clear that God is the Holy One. I mean, when you see the Psalms, the majority of references to holiness in the Psalms are directed towards the Lord himself. And we're told in Psalm 22 verse three, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. Psalm 71 verse 22, I will sing praises to you, O Holy One of Israel. Not only that, the holy place is where his people meet him. Psalm 99 verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. And those who enter the temple by extension are holy. So we find Psalm 23, or Psalm 24 rather, verses 3 to 4, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. When you read the Psalms, the instances when others are called holy ones, like the people of Israel. But then what we want to look at is the doctrine of sin. It is very remarkable to know that perhaps the most significant doctrine grounded in the Psalms is that of original sin. Since Augustine, Psalm 51 verse 5, which we've just read, has been read as referring to original sin. I was brought forth iniquity in sin. My mother conceived me. So it has become the key text that we are born as sinners, which is passed onto each generation from Adam by physical inheritance. In other words, the argument is that sin is in our genes. And what is more, for many Christians, this one verse has been interpreted to mean that sexual act itself is sinful. But then let's step back a little bit. When, look, when we look at the overwhelming emphasis of the Psalms on the right of access to God on the basis of one's integrity, one might then ask the question, how such a doctrine has come to overshadow the whole of the Psalms. So what people read just in the Psalms is Psalm 51 verse five. Unfortunately, you look at the Psalms, you see a lot of teachings on holiness, on purity. And I want to submit that part of the problem in examining this verse is that we neglect the poetic imagery of the psalm and we don't take it into account. So if we take just this one verse as a literal physical truth, then we run into trouble. 
let's look at Psalm 51 and read again, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, let's look at that for a while. You see, this verse turns to confession again, and it makes the earlier confession more radical. He's been confessing. You see, when you think in terms of the Psalms, particularly you read this Psalm, it's, it's generally a claim of a life of commitment to God. And this particular Psalm goes to the other extreme. And we want to say, as I said just a few moments ago, verse five has been used as a proof text for original sin and it is incompatible and that it is compatible with the idea that since the first human being's disobedience, sin is natural to humanity as breathing. That's what a German scholar said. And it is compatible with the idea that sin is as natural to humanity as breathing, though it does not imply that this sinfulness somehow links with sex. But we need to look at this verse. The point of this line is to make another personal statement about the suppliant's particular life. And as the Old Testament scholar John Goldinger rightly said, it is not clear that this personal statement is assumed to apply to everyone. Nor does the rest of the Old Testament think of humanity as thoroughly sinful in this way. It does assume that we're all affected by sin. For example, in Psalm 130 verse three, Psalm 143 verse two, Proverbs chapter 20 verse nine, and Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse 20, end of quote. Likewise, the idea that sinfulness was brought about the wrongdoing of the first human beings is not in conflict with the Old Testament. And of course, may actually be implied by it. But let's focus our attention on this passage again. The psalmist says, against you have I sinned, and against you only. Well, think about this. The psalmist saw sin as against God and against God alone. Isn't it interesting that there are other passages that show that sin is not just against God alone, but against even other human beings? against other people. And therefore there's the necessity, there's the necessity of confession of sin, not just to God, but to the individual. And that's very important to know. So confession of sins should not just be limited to God, even though the psalmist say, yeah, against you and you only have I sinned. But I want to say that sin is against God. The scriptures makes it very clear in other places. And many people take that now to say, well, I've confessed my sins against God and I don't have anything to confess against humans. No, yes, we know David's sin with Bathsheba was a sin against Uriah and nobody could deny that. 
It was a sin against Bathsheba, and nobody could deny that. It was a sin against his close advisors and his people, and everybody suffered the harsh consequence. But the psalmist knew that ultimately every wrong is a wrong against God, and that we have to deal with God before it is finally atoned for, taken care of. But even then, we still have to deal with the ones we have wronged as well. So holiness involves repentance and restitution. What's going on in Psalm 51 verse 5? What we're looking at is the psalmist's use of a hyperbole. Just like when Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Let's ask the question. Were there never sinners worse than Paul? Of course there were. Were there no worse sinners at the time of Paul? Of course there were. And are are there no sinners after Paul? Of course there are. But he calls himself the chief of sinners. He was just talking about himself. It's a hyperbole to, to show how much responsibility he takes for his sin, how much remorse he has for his sin. He saw his sin as something very great. His sin is so great in his own sight that he feels that he has always been a sinner as far back as he possibly can go. That's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 51. I'm just a sinner and I will have to see how far my sin can go. But then, to clarify issues, let's go to verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, listen to that. If we take into consideration the poetic image or imagery of this son, if verse 5 were to be physical, literal truth, then verse 7 has to be as well. Hear me again. If verse 5 is to be taken literally, and we don't consider the literary form, but we just take it literally, then we have to take verse 7 literal, literally as well. Which means what? Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Then we should be expecting God to take hyssop and then purify us and then wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Then we expect God to take a sponge and start cleaning us. I mean, basically, what we're saying is that you and I cannot be forgiven until God cleanses us with hyssop. And yet, when Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about the Corinthians, he said, such were some of you. You have been cleansed. You have been washed. And we all understand that to be metaphorical. And remember, the hyssop was a plant that was used for ritual cleansing. So the psalmist was using a language that the people understood when he says, purify me cleanse me, purify me with hyssop. He wants washing 
to the extent that washing could go, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now look at verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Now, we didn't read in the scriptures that God broke the bones of David. Not at all. He didn't say that. His bones were not broken. Then we should expect the evidence of sin in our lives as broken bones. Because the person confessing his sins here says, you have broken my bones. We were sinners, but God never broke our bones. Before I repented of my sins, he never broke my bones. Not at all. Literally, he did not. And I'm sure he did not break your own bones. But here is a language of somebody talking about the, the pain, the agony of sin. Somebody who is repenting. You see, we must take this great cry of confession seriously. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me and dismiss Psalm 51 verse 5 cavalierly. All I'm saying is that this verse has been used in a wrong sense of trying to preach original sin. That's not the point of the psalmist. But the passage tells us that we need to take the cry of confession seriously. The psalmist was keenly aware that his sin is an enormous affront to God. If we do not know how grievous sin is, we will not appreciate the greatness of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary. Sin is so horrible, sin is so terrible that God was willing to sacrifice his own son. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Now, we need to understand, if God will go to the extent of giving his son, that must be a serious issue. So we must take the problem of sin as a serious one. He is keenly aware that his sin is an enormous affront to God. You see, this sin has come to blot out his ability to see anything else. That's what sin does. Sin blinds. So the psalmist looks at sin and he sees it first and foremost as a sin against God. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. What is Psalm 51 actually doing? You see, when we read Psalm 51, we know it to be true, a picture of our own sinfulness. Our sin is great. Our sin is all-encompassing. And when we see our sins, it makes us to see and feel the need of cleansing. We long for a renewed spirit and a restored relationship with God. After all, that's what holiness is all about. And in praying with the psalmist, I want you to look at verse 17, the sacrifices of a of of God, I a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In praying with the psalmist, we know that God answers and hears the prayer with joy and he forgives. So the key to Psalm 51 is not the origin of sin. That's not the key. The key 
is the assurance that we have in verse 17 that God will not despise a broken and a contrite spirit. So rather than argue on original sin, rather than using Psalm 51 verse 5 as a verse to construct original sin, we should see what the psalmist is offering. It provides us an understanding of how to live lives of holiness. Listen to me. Psalm 51 cannot bear the weight of the doctrine of inbred sin. I mean, it is clear to us when you read Psalm 51 that God cannot be shocked by our prayers. We may have unholy thoughts toward others, even God. We may doubt his very existence or ability to even do good for us. Yet we may bring those very feelings to him without fear of rejection or condemnation. That's what we learn in Psalm 51, to be able to come to God and confess and say, God, cleanse me. Psalm 51 provides hope. Psalm 51 provides assurance. Psalm 51 is something that tells us about holiness. So what do we do? A life of holiness in the Psalms involves a constant presentation of ourselves as we are to the Lord, learning and growing through the experience. When you read the Psalms, it's a life of com continuous commitment and growing in the Lord. We should never read Psalm 51 verse 5 as a passage on which we're based our doctrine of original sin. Listen. Psalm 51 does not suggest, as people say, that sin is constitutive of our nature. Psalm 51 does not in any way say that or imply that. Sure, humans are born into a world that is involved in sin, a world that is full of sin. But does that tell us that we can be free does that tell us that we can be holy? Does that tell us that we cannot be who God has created us to be or what he desires us to be? The answer is no. All that needs to be done is to realize who we are. And like the psalmist, go to God and say, God, wash me, cleanse me, and purify me. We should stop using Psalm 51 verse 5 as a cop-out. God provides for victorious living. God provides for victory over sin. God does do that. And what he promises in his word, he surely can fulfill. Now we've not looked at every verse in Psalm 51. This is just a summary. I hope you've been blessed by this episode on Holiness Talks. Looking forward to hearing from you and seeing you the next time again. God bless you. Bye.